We are being told to choose between the left and right brain, between studying art and engineering, between creative and analytical thinking. Our society tells us that art and business are not connected. But what if society is wrong? What if it's misleading us? The good news is that understanding what art is can bring us to a new revelation. Art does matter in innovation, technology, and entrepreneurship. And with the help of this podcast and its guests, you as well will learn that art is not an object. Art is a mindset. You are listening to The Artian Podcast with me, Nir Hindi. Hey, podcast listeners, and thank you and welcome back to The Artian Podcast. And today we're saying hello, maybe shalom, from Tel Aviv here at the Google for Startups campus. And today we have with us Liat Segal. So Liat, first of all, thank you for coming and joining us. Thank you for having me. I'm very happy to be here. Maybe you can start by actually introducing yourself to mm-hmm. our listeners. My pleasure. So I'm an artist, but I come from a very untraditional background for art. Uh, I actually studied computer science and biology. I have two master degrees, one from Tel Aviv University in bioinformatics and the other in decision analysis from Minerva University in San Francisco. Actually, I started doing art professionally about nine years ago, and I quit my day job uh, at the time at Microsoft, uh, where I was working at, as a researcher, and uh, took a studio, and that's what I do full-time since. Okay, so you actually started in engineering. You worked at Microsoft Lab in Israel for three years, and if I include also the startup that you worked, and then you started to create art. And I'm wondering... What brought you to start to create art and why not choosing staying in Microsoft Lab, which is obviously, I would assume many people kind of desire to work in a place like that. So I don't think it's one against the other. So I always created, I just didn't create what we call art, let's say. I think that art is about the story more than about the materiality and you need a story to tell. I was... creating things they were just not uh, defined as art let's say like what I built furnitures I built a uh, little crazy stupid machines uh, mechanical machines I think the first thing I remember building was at about the age of five or six and it was a Rube Goldberg machine that did nothing but I really remember <laughs> it as a very young kid but I was also I as a teenager I studied photography and But it, it was always a hobby, and it was something that was uh, on the second place. In the first place, took uh, science and technology. So what makes you kind of, I don't want to call it a, a changing place, but actually elevate art to the same level as science? And in a second, we speak about what the type of art that you are doing. Yeah, so I think it's funny, but the thing that actually made me quit art <laughs> Hitech was that I started playing with electronics and it started with a little stupid projects uh, that got bigger and bigger and when I did that they weren't art as well they were geeky projects but when I did that I realized that I found my material in art mm. and I found stories that I could tell with art technology and with this material that I started using and just like I didn't 
officially studied art. I also never officially studied electronics and mechanics, but that's what I do. So uh, with every project, they get bigger and bigger in terms of stories, but also in terms of the technology that they use. But I also keep using uh, information and uh, machine learning and, uh, of course, software, uh, which is my bread and butter. <laughs> uh, you know, it's kind of, you know, now that you are speaking, it's kind of um, funny because one of the things that I discovered while running the Artian is that often people think about art or artists as kind of the classical stereotype. It's a paint, white canvas, and it's often even painting. And you actually speak about technology as material and software as a material and not necessarily a paint or a, maybe marble for sculpture, etc. And today, I kind of want to speak about your art because today your art actually, as you just started to uh, mention, mix those disciplines or knowledge as an engineer or software developer and someone that builds uh, things with uh, robotics or machines to actually influence and create your own art. Um, but what you do is that you connect technology with humanity. And I'm interested to know what motivates you at your work. Why you actually chose technology beside the fact that you actually enjoy it or knows it? So what motivates me is both the material and the technology, but also the story. And sometimes when I start creating, it comes from the story or it comes from a setting or a place where I want to create and create a location-based work, for example. And then I start thinking of what is the story that I want to tell with this specific place. And sometimes it comes from the material. For example, in my work, uh, the attending machine, it has a pigment that is sensitive to UV light that when it is exposed to UV, it changes the color to a dark blue for a few seconds and then it fades back to its original color. And when I got to know this material, I knew that I wanted to do something with it. And it took a while until I found the right story to tell with this material. Mm. But many times it's from the other direction I'd other direction. I have something that uh, that bothers me or that keeps me thinking about that I want to tell, that I want to ask questions mostly. And then I found find the visual or the material concept uh, that uh, joins the story. So so you work both directions exactly. from the story to the material, from the material to yeah. the story. yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's interesting uh, because you also refer to technology a bit different uh, because that's, that's honest, honestly what I like about you and your art uh, when it comes to technology because you refer to uh, technology like a human in a way or more accurately if I would say you assign human characteristics to technology. We often tend to think about technology as something called non-humanistic but for you it is the opposite case. Can you elaborate on that? I don't think it's the opposite because I don't feel that I attach humanity exactly to technology, but I think that technology, it's just a, an extension of us. So if we see technology as something called, it means that we are called as well. And if we see technology as something that uh, is uh, inhuman, then it means that somebody designed it as an inhuman object. I eventually, because I, my, what I'm interested about is not the technology per se, but the humanity. So when you 
see a work that they created with technology because it's not about the technology, but using technology. So you don't get this feeling of uh, uh, distance or uh, uh, indifference. It or, feels more natural to be next. That's uh, what I am for, at least. Yeah. You know, it's, you are talking and I'm getting excited because I, I'm surrounded and I'm operating and I work at the world of startups and technology. And it strikes me all the time how people skip the ability to get connected to artists to understand this uh, way of thinking. And just to kind of uh, a story that I heard is that there are some writers that uh, developing kind of a... I wouldn't say algorithm, but kind of a, a speech stories for Alexa, how you can make Alexa more human to that. And I don't think in a way that engineers can do it, but rather maybe storytellers like writers and poets. But I want to go back to your work because um, you use technology to show empathy, longings, and also social uh, phenomena like FOMO, the fear of missing out. Uh, which actually is the theme of your latest work that uh, presented in Petah Tikva Museum of Art. Can you give us um, more examples or elaborate about this work, maybe starting with FOMO? So FOMO, fear of missing out, is something that we all experience, and I think we experienced it, or our great-grandparents great also experienced, but today with all the exposure we have to what everybody else is currently doing, We multiply this experience so much because we don't see whatever they're doing all the time. We see what they're doing at their best moments. We see their best dinners, their best uh, days at job at their job, uh, their best family moments, not when their kids uh, are crying in a tantrum on the <laughs> store floor. Everyone We usually don't see life. that. Yeah, everybody is perfect. Everybody is looking great. And, you know, we have a complicated life. We have uh, dull moments. We have uh, moments where when we're sad, we're, we're crazy. We're like, they, they don't follow that well, these moments. And we don't upload them usually unless we have a story to tell about them. So when we are constantly exposed, it also changes our attention span. as well to what we're exposed to we keep seeing all these perfect moments and sometimes we also upload our perfect moments but when we upload our moments we keep uh, tracking how many people uh, like our, our yeah. uh, upload and we pay a lot of attention to it but the amount of time we put to a photo that somebody else uh, uploaded is minimal it's like uh, a split of a second and then again we lose the Uh, the attention like really quickly so the work that I created is a physical simulation of this experience of this uh, social anxiety and it's built uh, just like uh, Humpty Dumpty's the objects are about the child size and they move with instability from side to side they look like uh, eggs they have their color is black with gold leaves that they uh, are spread randomly on them and And they're literally casted uh, by the same mold. They're identical on one hand, but the gold leaves create them, uh, give them this random and special identity. So each one in its own eyes is a, f- a special snowflake in the world that will never repeat itself, you know? So what they do is when they're moving as a, as a Humpty Dumpty, 
they're actually simulating the fact that uh, they're now in action. They're now in the best party ever and they're uploading it. And when they move, they also transmit to their friends in this little social network that they're doing something special. When the other notice that somebody else is doing something, it is very likely that they'll join the movement as well. But very quickly, they'll get tired of what they're doing and they'll stop as well. So you see waves of motion in the space with these uh, 12 egg-like, uh, instable little creatures. Which, by the way, you may be, will be able to see on our website later on. And if we have even a video, we can uh, later upload the video if there is one for the work. So, you know, you mentioned the work of uh, FOMO, but personally, one of the work that I liked is the one in which you have worked with a ceramic artist. And what happened in this uh, work is that people sang to a microphone, their voices were transmitted to an algorithm you built that simultaneously wrote their voice on the plate. Now, I thought to myself how beautiful it can be as a present As a memory to hang on a wall a plate with the voice of our beloved ones and I think this is how I see your humanistic approach to to technology tell us more about this project so plate recorder is a collaboration I did with the ceramic artist Rui Mayan and together we wanted to create create an archive of sounds of human sounds and we asked people to send us recordings and They had from specific moments that were meaningful to them in some way, and to write us a few words, a few sentences about these moments, also sent us the times and place of the recordings, so that we create a wall full of these plates that are covered in black overglaze that is scratched with the sound waves. And the machine that does it is something uh, that is between a plate uh, a, a record player. And the throwing wheel where you create ceramic plates and it has the language of both and I think it's not a coincidence that these two materials have this ceramic this round motion and it it has I think that the original records were actually done in a very similar way they were really physically recorded in a very similar way to what we actually did and we had the Many people sending us uh, sounds, and some were beautiful stories that actually really touched me. And one of them is actually a recording that was done by a, a, an Iranian musician from Tehran. He lives today still in Tehran. And we follow each other on Instagram. And this guy, I really adore what he's doing. Like he's using tons of uh, traditional instruments. He's super talented. And uh, when I... was working on this uh, project I sent him a message and wanted to see maybe he can send me some of his works that I record them and it actually created a really interesting conversation between the two of us and at some point we had a video call I don't know if it's okay to say it but uh, I will anyway a video co- call between Tehran and Tel Aviv we were talking for about an hour about you know life and Uh, I showed him uh, my house, he showed me his house, he played the uh, music for me. And we had like a beautiful, normal conversation between two artists, two people, regardless of where we are and the conflicts between the politicians in our country. 
And the interesting thing was that when I created this plate and eventually when we displayed the plate, it was displayed just next to a plate that we did uh, with a recording of uh, Benjamin Netanyahu uh, in his uh, talk at the UN when he was uh, describing the great danger that we expect from uh, Iranian uh, nuclear. And it was, for me, it was really interesting to see this uh, contrast between the two. And it was a very, a very precise moment of storytelling. Do you have a photos of those uh, two plates? Yes, I do. Can, I can send you la- them. We can later uh, upload them as well? Sure. <laughs> Great. Um, you know, um, this, this kind of project, uh, for me, I think, uh, resembles a lot of what you do. And, and I think you are an example uh, technology companies can look up to when they want to learn how to humanize their product and uh, services. Because everyone's speaking about human-centric design, and it's always struck me how they skip the most, at least for in my opinion, the most important aspect of it, which is art and the way artists think. Because artists are always kind of, a, I would say, experience-oriented, just in product-oriented. And they think about the maybe the viewer or the... Or, or, or the uh, person that will experience the work at, at the end. And you started to speak about it because you mentioned this, I would say, common, if I will call it, uh, nourish each other, no? What are your thoughts about that? So first of all, before I get to the art part, I think that when you say that companies want to humanize their product, I disagree with that in a way because I think that eventually what companies want to do is to monetize their product, to make more money. And in order to do that, they want to create a more approachable product maybe. So I don't think it's the same thing. And eventually when we see companies that we call evil or what they do is evil, I think that most of them are done, like the technology is developed by people that are really great people And they're very far from being evil. And what eventually happens is something that uh, we see from afar that is maybe evil. And there maybe is something that can be changed a bit by artists and art because eventually what art does, in my opinion, is to raise questions and to raise awareness of human aspects of what we do and uh, to raise... Uh, these flags of even not as direct criticism because I think that's something that's very hard to do when you invite artists for for example for a residency in a technological company it's not very likely that they'll have like a criticism in their face of a specific product but even by just raising question and creating conversation I think that the total summed effect is meaningful. Um, so you, you actually had this uh, kind of certain uh, experience uh, because you participated in a startup ac- accelerator program as an artist in residence, okay? And for, for the, the one that doesn't know, uh, startup accelerators often is kind of programs between three to six months in which companies with ideas actually scale up uh, some of their uh, ideas for the market. And the person that actually recommended me to speak with you was Dr. Uh, Ulrich Schmitz, Managing Director at Axel Springer Digital Ventures and the co-founder of this Startup Accelerator. Now, Uli, as a scientist who has a passion for art, saw the need 
to have artists in this accelerator and you was you were one of those artists that actually participated how was this experience I mean what's going on over there when as when an artist joined 10 startups in a technology environment so for me it was first an incredible experience with two from two directions I said that the first one is just as an artist I think that most artists that do this project you Uh, don't come from a technological background and still have this beautiful conversation with people that come from places that are different from them. But for me personally, it was also really fun because I missed this world in a way and I realized it only when I was there. What did you miss? Uh, this uh, startup environment, you energy. know. Yeah, this energy. And I find it, in my work, I have times that are very hectic, very busy, and I work, I think, well, definitely much more than I did when I was working as a developer today. But still, it's a very uh, self-inwards work. Eventually, it's about me <laughs> in many, many ways. It's about, like, we, we're creating, when I have a team, like, now we're creating a project that has my title, On it it's not the product it's not a, a team of effort in its a conventional way or in its startup uh, way and to have this is something that uh, I do miss like I really loved the people that I worked with it was a really a uh, beautiful mutual war to fight you know so that was one thing but generally speaking I can say that this is environment that makes people from different disciplines with different motivation work together at most of the time you don't have a lot of conversation about the art or about the startups you know like people do what they do but just being there and speaking about life and getting to know each other makes some difference because you actually when startup people talk to startup people they will speak mostly about tech. <laughs> and when it's an artist that suddenly is a bit an outsider to this, the, suddenly the, the environment the changes. Shifts. Yeah, it shifts, exactly. And it creates something else. And I think that that's one of the most, the greatest powers of having an artist in residence in a very technological environment. So how long you were there? For three months, the program, uh, both for the startups and for the artists, it's the same cycle. It's a cycle of three months. Uh, at the same time, time I was working also on the solo exhibition that I had in Berlin and two a uh, major group shows I had also in Germany so it was a very very busy time for me and uh, I build machines so I create uh, a mess and noise and I had to shift my uh, work as well it's to stay in harmony with all the other people that didn't like that uh, loud <laughs> sound sound so much and I could very relate to that very much. So it was a really interesting time for me. What did you learn from this period working in a startup accelerator? Because you share the same space. If I recall, you even mentioned that in the demo day, on the final day of the startups, you also presented your project yeah. and you participated in the workshops, etc. So. so first of all, as an artist, I was invited to use all the tools that the startups did. Uh, got so it was we had tons of uh, workshops and uh, mentorships for example one of the workshops that we had every week was a pitch uh, session so we had this uh, guy that is uh, training people to give uh, TED to talks pitch, and yes. yeah and so I joined every week 
this uh, pitch session. And I was very much surprised that most of the things we were doing was not actually pitching, but creating our stories, which is something that is very general and Like uh, it fits me just as much as it yeah. fits uh, any startup and any other person or business. Totally. Yeah. It was really beautiful to see, like I saw it on the other people, how much people improved their stories and the, the way they were telling their stories. So it was a really nice progress. So at least one thing that you learned from them is that how to pitch or at least from the program. The other thing was th- this program is aimed... also to create connections between people outside the program. So, and that was something that was done beautifully, both for the startups and for me. So they created the connections for me with the gallerists. And whenever I wanted the, some specific connection, they did everything to create this connection. And I think that's the most important thing eventually. What do you think the entrepreneurs learned from you? <laughs> uh, so I, I think it's not, A direct learning you know it's not like uh, there is something very specific like uh, I gave a workshop but you know there were things like that but I think that what fertilizes people is the indirect conversations and that's something that I can say about my work for example that uh, I was talking to this uh, guy who was a developer at a startup uh, and told him uh, what I was working on and And he actually gave me a really great idea that I later implemented uh, in my project. And that's part of my project as well. And I think that that was also this kind of mutual connection was also a reciprocal, like ad- ideas that I had maybe influenced other people. But it's yeah. just, you know, it's just by speaking to people that are not, uh, they t- see things from the outside is... When you get these moments of uh, sparks, you know? Yeah. It's not like action-reaction. No, no. It's more no. like, and yeah, that's it's why like it's, it's creating it, the environment. Exactly, and it's important to have a long process. It's not like uh, if you create a, a one-day thing, you'll have the same encounters. It's the three-month program that creates intimacy as well and conversations that you get to later go on and think about and uh, uh, you have a, a night's sleep over and then you wake up with some ideas and you have the opportunity to go the next morning and tell this guy what you had in mind you know yeah so um, you know it's kind of a, you're talking and I'm thinking if I were a program manager in a startup accelerator and and I want to create my own artist in residence because I want to influence my entrepreneurs um, what would be your recommendation what can actually create a better environment so first of all is to physically have people of different disciplines that's the main thing but also to create an environment that makes people for a few hours every week and quit what they're doing with all the pressure that they do have and they have they tons have of lot, pressure yeah. yeah as an accelerated startup but as they uh, have their time put on uh, the more practical sessions they should should also spend a few hours a week on things that are completely uh, not connected to what they do and it can be about art it can, it can be about uh, culture and social questions and And uh, everything that is different and inspiring from what they're doing. And these things give ideas eventually that, again, they're not necessarily direct Related, to what yes. they're doing. 
but as people they will be better people and th- that's like going back to what makes a uh, technology more human it's that yeah I mean you know it's kind of a uh, remind me of a incubator that I heard of and and they have their business uh, training for their uh, startups but what they realize is that entrepreneurship alone is not enough and it must be connected to creativity so they created the cultural program and every two three weeks uh, they will invite a scientist a painter a poet to speak to their uh, uh, entrepreneurs you started to speak about the first thing you said is actually that they need to make sure that they have people from different disciplines and you started in a special way kind of I would say or unique a uh, program in Tel Aviv University that actually allows its students to gain experience in different disciplines uh, from art to science how this experience not specializing in one field but instead moving between various areas influenced you okay so I think that uh, looking back it's not something I could say in real time but looking back I eventually ended up focusing on the The very first thing that I started with, but on the way there, I went through so many sub trajectories that eventually while studying while studying, yeah, so okay. I took courses uh, in history, uh, in art, in uh, psychology, uh, in engineering. Most of my studies were in uh, computer science and biology. But eventually, again, I can only say that uh, looking back, It helped me do what I do now, and uh, I don't know what would happen uh, would have happened if I uh, kept uh, my work as an engineer, but I'm sure it would uh, benefit that too. Uh, but also I think that the people who choose a program like that are built for something like that. So, so, so one with. second, because you, you started immediately to speak how it influenced you, but can you tell us a bit about the program? What is this program? So the Lautman interdisciplinary program at Tel Aviv University is basically a direct program for masters where you choose the first two years whatever you want to study from the entire university. I chose tons of courses. you're not limited to not to a discipline and not to an amount of courses that you take. so people go really crazy there. And I personally chose uh, uh, courses from uh, uh, mostly computer science and biology, but tons of courses from psychology and history and uh, art and cinema and uh, education and psychology, like tons sounds, of stuff. Sounds exciting. Really exciting, yes. The downside or the, the problem with that is that you go really wide and usually the program is supposed to be four years, but usually it takes much longer because when you get to the time you're supposed to choose what you're doing your master's degree in... You're still exploring. No, you just realized that you didn't do all the <laughs> basics. <laughs> so really, so at the first year at university, I did mostly courses of third year. Okay. <laughs> okay, really advanced courses. But then I realized that I need to go back a bit. So on the second year, I took courses of second year. And then I realized I need to go back a bit more. And on the third year, I was supposed to focus. But then I realized that in order to register to a master's degree, I need to take courses from a first year. So I did everything backwards, but it worked eventually. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's interesting because even the one of our speakers as well on the, on the podcast is actually Shimon Adaf that studies as well. And, and he's a science fiction writer. He's a poet. And he connects Judaism with science fiction, with technology, with science. So it's kind of interesting to see um, how this uh, program uh, influenced uh, its students. But it kind of... 
to raise my doubts or my thoughts about why we as a society see the need to separate disciplines. What do you think? How people can break those barriers of disciplines that they are channeled? Yeah, I think there is a reason for having disciplines because we have so much knowledge that no one can really master, you know, really deeply all the, the different disciplines. But it's really important to have both kind of people, people that go uh, in like into widths and people that go into depths. I'm definitely the witch kind of uh, girl. Yeah, generalist <laughs> specialist. Yes. And I think that you need both kind of people, but each one creates something that is different. And in every startup, you'll need both eventually. And also, you see that in art too. You see artists, they do the same technique their entire career. I can't imagine living like that, I must say. But I really appreciate it as well, because you see something that is... very uh, deep. You see that also in craftsmanship, like uh, you have these Japanese ceramic artists that do the entire, like they, for, as an outer, uh, outsider, you'll see that they do exactly the same thing over and over and over again, but they do something that is incredible. On the other hand, I think that doing things from different disciplines gets you, like you, you do things that like would never happen never have, have been done otherwise in a way, you know, like, uh, and that also goes to mastering one discipline and st- like what I did, but then going to a discipline as an outsider that you can bring things uh, that uh, were overlooked, let's say, yeah. as a tradition, like in that tradition. And you see that in many and many things. You see people uh, that come from uh, the medicine field into tech. You see the other way around. You see people that uh, are storyteller, storytellers that uh, approach technological questions and then they get uh, eventually the craziest ideas that you just then need to implement them, you know? So you need these depth people that will implement them. Innovation happens at the intersections of disciplines. And if I was, if I am, let's say a specialist, but I want to break barrier and maybe get exposed to more general ideas, what would you recommend <laughs> to do? To just do, to start by doing. Like, uh, just uh, go to see movies, go to play with, as I did with electronics, go paint, go to a singing uh, retreat. Just do. And I think that just by doing, it creates, first of all, the energy of doing more. But uh, it also opens opportunities. By doing, you also meet people that are very different from your normal environment. And these people will open doors for you. We'll open conceptual doors for you as well, which is uh, even more important. And just by doing and not just writing to the drawer, you know, doing and showing as well will make you go to places you can never dream of. And I think that for me personally, That was the moment of change when I started playing with electronics and that completely changed my mind, my, my, my uh, life. And it was very much connected to the fact that I was also showed what I did and I got feedback of, for what I did. But, you know, showing your stuff means that you are willing to be vulnerable and yes. <laughs> you are willing to take failure and criticism. <laughs> and humans have something that often disturbs them, which is called ego. 
What what do you do in that case? So for me personally, I'm very and I deal with it in my art as well. I have control issues that are very <laughs> very very big, you know. And that's part of what I do. So when I create things, I'm very strict with you know, I have uh, I'm I'm I have completely OCD in in my work. But I also invite randomness and I also invite noise and disruption to what I do. So I play with this tension between the two. And I think that's the same with what you asked because you have to be vulnerable to get this randomness. And on the other hand, you have to do and you, to be in control and to be... So you need you you were mentioning you need to invite this randomness but balance between control and randomness you need to have both the process of action to be active which also means many times be in control and you know know what you want to do and the other side is that you have to invite randomness and arbitrary action things into what you do because this gets you both into places you never thought you would get to but also I think that that's many times the moment of being a human and yeah. what brings humanity into your work as yeah. well and being vulnerable is part of it yeah it's interesting you know because both as Israelis it's something that they I'm, I'm thinking because you know often people especially in startup world kind of you know Um, afraid of failure and and often they ask you okay how many companies you were involved or started and then you say three or four and they failed etc and then people kind of judge you but at least in Israel we say okay at least I started four how many did you start and we are kind of not afraid of just understanding that it's just part of the game being uh, vulnerable and and open for failure not even failure but I would call it a kind of lessons of life or process um and You know I, I, I want to ask you a question that I kind of always uh, uh, find interesting because often when I speak to engineers in the world of technology and when I speak to artists, often the engineers don't see the similarities and I'm and I'm asking you as someone that is an engineer and an artist what is the similarities between engineering and art or differences between engineering and art or similarities between an artist and an engineer? Actually, I don't see a lot of difference, I must say. I think that people that are successful in what they're doing, they have to be very professional, they have to be open-minded. Sometimes they have to be strict and sometimes they have to be open. But eventually, that's the same for engineers and for artists. I think that the major difference is the area of interest of where, what you research and not uh, the fact that you do research and, or that you do develop something, you know? So what are the similarities? Because you started to mention trial and error and... Uh... Uh, I think that the main similarity is actually doing. Keep okay. doing, you know? So it's problem solving. It's like when you do, you have problems to solve. Otherwise... Okay, you're just uh, in a mon- monotonous uh, uh, behavior. Mode, yeah. Yeah. Creation, you find in both areas, you know, like uh, you have to be creative as an engineer. You have to be obviously creative as, as an, an artist. artist. Yeah. Uh, you have to be communicative as well in both areas. You work as an engineer, you usually work with other people. You have to 
uh, tell the story. You have to uh, make people understand what you want to do, what you're aiming for, same as an artist. So it's I don't see a lot of difference, actually. It's <laughs> interesting. So engineers in the room or engineers as listeners notice <laughs> there is no big difference between art and engineering. Uh, well, okay. I take <laughs> that. When you say it, it sounds a bit uh, exaggerated, maybe. I think that artists do give a lot of space for mistakes as part of their process. And uh, you mentioned fragility. So artists... By definition, give space for fragility and exposure. That's a main difference. Also, I was going to say that engineers are usually more introverts, but that's definitely not the case with many <laughs> of my engineer friends. And many of my uh, artist friends are introverts and the other way. So really, I can't see a lot of difference. Okay, so maybe we have this uh, common area <laughs> with the differences. By the way, I mean, till recently you shared... your studio with actually a startup company, <laughs> yeah. which again, maybe that's why it was natural for you because you were in the startup accelerator, you work with technology, you don't see difference between engineering and art in at least the majority of it. So I don't know if it was natural that as an artist, you actually share a space with a startup company. Yeah, so uh, for a few years, actually, we shared the space. I, they just needed, of course, a table and their computers, and I tried to make less noise when they were working. And so we had a very uh, harmonious and stable uh, uh, shared time. I think that, generally speaking, also, they gained a lot from working in an environment that... Uh, wasn't very monotonous, wasn't an office with cubicles. They came to an area that was a bit rough and dirty, but also like full of colors also. I yeah, remember when I visited way. over there and the whole area is an artist studio. Exactly, so but also it's filled with startups. You know, we worked, just opened the, well, I don't know if it's a good example today, but they just opened the, a space next to my building. And the Sosa is there, you know, there are tons of places uh, that host... Coming close uh, to the arts. Yeah. So that's, it's a very natural thing, I think, to, to combine. For me, uh, it was also, like, what I was saying that I'm missing a bit was this uh, communication and a shared environment and shared moments with people uh, that... Like whenever you have so many people working at your space that are like they're working a lot as well, you <laughs> get these moments too. And since I come from tech originally, we also could actually know, yeah, yeah, know what we were working on together. So, so now, now they just, they, from what I understood, they expand to a, a abroad outside of the country. Yeah, eventually they grew and they needed a bigger and, space. Uh, yeah, so, so. Are you looking for someone? So if someone so is actually, listening. Actually, I grew as well and I needed a bigger space. <laughs> so now I use the entire space. But, uh, okay. you know, you never know. <laughs> okay. So maybe we will publish on our uh, channels in case you are looking for a startup to share a studio. <laughs> Because you work with technology, um, and that's related to my question, we live in time that technology has been used in a malicious way. Technologies like deepfake, artificial intelligence, face recognition, etc. I'm wondering, what is the role of the artist today when looking at those technologies? I think that generally speaking, the role of artists is first of all to ask questions and to raise awareness and to make people think. And that's... Uh, Like in any other 
questions or fields of questions, but uh, definitely when we think about uh, technology and, uh, and uh, evil technology <laughs> or malicious. And the other thing that you see more and more today, especially in uh, tech art, is that when you have artists that are also developers, you also get tools that are open source and not just uh, conceptual tools. Uh, ideas. ideas yeah so uh, for example you have uh, Adam Harvey who is an artist that is a developer as well who is dealing with the uh, face uh, recognition and he's creating tools for digital camouflage that prevents facial uh, recognition and so you first of all is uh, his work is about creating awareness but he actually has you Real give tools. you also a yeah. solution yeah I, I don't know if they're very you know they're gonna survive along because the, the <laughs> there are so many more the developers that yeah. create these kind of technologies so it's a, a very difficult task but I think that we'll see more and more activists and artists that work in the other direction as well yeah I mean you know one of the artists that I saw actually uh, took this deep fake Um, and, and tried to challenge the Facebook recogn- uh, uh, engine and actually he created a, f- a deep fake video of Mark Zuckerberg mm. actually kind of and breaking the rules of Facebook but Facebook algorithm didn't recognize it so yeah I mean beautiful I, I think I think that this this raising questions around social uh, and moral maybe issues is something that is crucial if I go back to your work I see another connection to the business world where where there is a need to gain new insights using data and visualization in one of your work you collaborate with Slomi Shaban a famous Israeli pianist and singer you built a large machine that painted over a canvas of a size of Of three meters by four the device translated his piano chords into colors on the canvas suddenly we saw his music not only heard it and personally I loved it and you will see the video on on the our website but can you explain more about this this work how this even collaboration was created sure so first of all it was a collaboration also with uh, Asaf Talmudi uh, with a super talented musician and we wanted to To create a new language that is also visual for musicians and uh, we created this mapping between sound to visual in a way that will be a uh, natural for musicians so we had uh, a few shows uh, where musicians including Shlomi Shaban were coming and playing so at first we let them play a bit with this new system to study this uh, expression a uh, new way of expression and And then every show we had was an improvisation that resulted in a completely different uh, musical, but also visual result. So you could see the musicians were playing, but they were also watching the canvas once uh, while, while they were playing. playing. Yeah, in order to get something that interests them in both aspects. Generally speaking, I do a lot of work with a uh, translation of information of data into the physical and visual world. Uh, world and what I try to do is not to be precise not to create uh, infographics for example I try to do something that lets you also think and each work is dealing with something else so the work you mentioned was one of my first works actually and there I was asking a question about who is the creator and what is the creation so at the time I was dealing with this question a lot and And when I was creating a setting that is technological, inviting people, other artists to put their inputs, 
And eventually, at the time of the performance, I was an observer myself. I had no control whatsoever of what is happening at this precise moment. So was I the creator of this work? And this question really bothered me at first. And I must say that the answer to this question... Yeah, I was about to re- ask. Yeah, it doesn't really matter. And that's why, like what I say today, at some point I just let it go out of my system and say, okay, this question was actually asked many times in art history as well, not by like people that deal, dealt with technology, but in other uh, conceptual forms. Yeah, like Marcel Duchamp and The Fountain. Exactly. And eventually I said, okay, the, the important thing here was to ask it The question and not so much to answer it and I moved to my next questions <laughs> which was I dealt a lot with uh, questions are about humanity in technological times mm. so we live in times that eventually change uh, our behavior but are essential things that that bother us or that keep keeps our, our mind or our heart uh, busy are things that kept the People for thousands of years uh, in very similar ways so we I ask questions about uh, intimacy about communication the way we can communicate the way we have uh, the attention span to actually hear what other people are saying and uh, about memories uh, about control how much we need to be in control versus how much randomness for example we allow uh, <laughs> our our work or a personality to be presented as and I use technology as means to talk about these questions but the questions are very old yeah are you planning more works around the visualization of the unseen like the musical chords so that's something that falls me since the beginning of Uh, of my work and I have two different fields that I usually work in one is this field of uh, of tr- transformation of data into the physical world and the other is more about installation uh, works but I deal a lot with various kinds of uh, painting machines and every time again it's a, a tool that helps me convey a message eventually or a question but definitely each time I use different kind of uh, information and Sometimes it's information that uh, is uh, real-time information, like the, the sound work. Uh, but Or the one that you did with the boats. So the, the one that I did with the boats actually is an example of uh, uh, something that wasn't real-time because the time frame of boats is very slow ah, okay. in respect to human time frame. Movement, yeah. Yeah, so I took information uh, that was collected six months prior to the exhibition uh, that was actually a location... based information it the, the exhibition took place in La Rochelle in France it's the west coast of France it's a, a very old port town and I took uh, information from online sources of all the ships that went through La Rochelle this particular geographical uh, point that uh, the show was uh, showing at uh, six months before the exhibition and this data was manifested both in an installation that showed a fast forward to Of this uh, six months in two hours using motion of water inside of uh, glasses I did that with uh, tons of uh, magnets that were spread inside the glasses and really strong magnets below the surface that shaked 
the little magnets and made the... Shake the whole left, uh, room, I think. <laughs> more or less. The room was uh, a tower that was built 600 years ago, so it was very hard to shake. <laughs> yeah, it yeah. had two-meter-wide <laughs> walls, but, uh, but it created a very strong resonance of sounds from these shakes, and eventually it all started with this data of trajectories of ships. So obviously there are many things that uh, influence you and, and I'm interested uh, who are the artists that actually influence you the most so, and, and maybe why why yeah, they... I'm, I'm inspired and influenced by many artists, both international and local, but I can say without a, a, a naming specific people, I can say that generally speaking the, the artists that influence me most are the artists that they actually know and have a conversation with because then like uh, in this ongoing conversation with uh, peers in this case artists these are the people that uh, have really strong uh, inputs and influences and literally make shifts in what I do eventually day to day yeah I mean you know often people ask me about uh, how they can start get exposed to art and I tell them don't not necessarily get exposed to art get exposed to artists <laughs> and and I often kind of uh, drawn into those conversation with uh, with artists Beatush <laughs> I want to say thank you big thank you for uh, coming uh, uh, today to chat with me about art about technology about humanity thank you yeah. it was my pleasure. <laughs> Well, I hope we can host you again when we have more shows, you have more shows that we can discuss. Perfect. So, thank you again. We are producing our podcast without any ads, and we are relying on our listeners' direct support. So, if you find it valuable for you, I will be super grateful if you could spread the word by leaving a rating and a review. It will take you just 30 seconds to do so. And it is very helpful in getting these ideas to a wider audience. If you are interested to work with us or develop your artistic mindset, I would recommend you to check our workshops and training available on our website. This episode was recorded from Google for Startups Creator Studio in Tel Aviv. Check out Google for Startups website to learn more about their support for entrepreneurs. The episode was mixed and mastered by Daniel Duran. You can subscribe to the Artian podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast. Our previous shows are available on our website, www.theartian.com slash podcast. Each episode includes show notes, guest recommendation, videos, and other materials. We can also be found on our LinkedIn page, Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. You can reach us directly via email at podcast at Once again, thanks for listening.